Hi, I'm Diana. I'm a very, very grateful member of the Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon, which includes Alateen. And my home group is There is Hope, Monday night, 5.30, Columbia, Missouri. I think it's the best group in the world. And as they say, if you don't think so, change home groups. Um, let's see. Okay, so yeah, the topic is So You Love an Alcoholic, but uh, yeah, I'm just going to talk about what I'm going to talk about. I prayed. <laughs> I hope God has given me something that you need to hear. Um, my my experience may not be like other people. Um, I'm an adult child of an alcoholic, and what happened to me was, well, I'm going to breathe. Just hang on a minute. hope you all are doing the same. Okay, so I feel a little better now. Um, what happened to me was I did not come gently into this good program. My first meeting was in... Uh, 1985. Don't get all excited. Um, I just thought those people were very strange. And then I um, I started dating an alcoholic um, in about 1993, and then I married him a couple months later. So I started going to meetings because I wanted to be the good girlfriend wife. And I just thought you people were just really interesting so I call that my tourist plan. And then we had, a little, we had a little problem at home, and I got to go and visit the authorities at the jail. And that's where I took my, my first, first step, and it was a big relief. And what, what I learned was Al-Anon was a huge relief for me. I did not come in loving an alcoholic. I, I came in hating I had burned really past hate. I'd gone to loathing. I'd gone to planning her demise. I had gone to thinking about if you run them over and back up and you do it again, is that once? Or that's what I had done. I had just become so furious with my mother. She never acted right. And um, so what happened was when I washed up in Al Anon, um, you guys took me in and you let me use the F word as many times as I felt like. Uh, years later, I would have a sponsee and she said it was scary to her that they said when she was new, they reminded, she reminded them of me. I said, yeah, it's scary to me too. Um, so what happened was I came into the program and I, I wasn't like the people who cried. I cussed a lot. And slowly, 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 um, I began to hear about these strange things called steps. There were 12 of them. And then there were these 12 other things they talked about, too. I, I found out later they were traditions. We weren't up to the concepts. I guess they knew I couldn't handle three sets of 12. Um, and then what happened was I wasn't going to do those stinking steps because I'd noticed that fourth one, and that was real pesky. And uh, what happened was there was a woman who always would come up in the meeting, a woman. Now, I really had, like, basically no use for women. You were either A, competition, or B, my mom. So, really, I had cut you all loose a long time ago. And God, I had thrown him away because he was definitely not doing things the way I told him. He was useless to me. So what happened was there was this woman, and she would come up to me, and she would ask me how I was. And then I would tell her. <laughs> and she, she would listen a long time. And um, somehow I got her phone number or something, and I would phone her, you know. And I, I, I never actually figured out you could do it differently than this is how I did it. I would, I would call when I was doing the elephant cry. I don't know if you guys do that or not. This is how I did it. I'll move away from the mic. I would do like, <laughs> you know. Sometimes her husband picked up the phone. He, he always knew it was me. Years later, I asked him how. That's when I found out you could call before you were doing the elephant cry. You could just phone and say, I have a little problem. You didn't have to wait until you were fantasizing about the things I fantasized about, running them over twice. So, um, so that's what happened was, you know, I phoned this woman a lot. And then I started hearing about sponsorship. 
I was like, I'm never doing that. They talked about it freaking incessantly for a while. I I did all the steps really willingly like that. So I phoned her up, you know, back in the old days when you had like the little push button thing to hang up. So I had one finger on that, you know, and I called her and I said, I would like you to, you know, would you be willing to be my sponsor? And she said, yes. So I hung up on her. (laughs) Actually, what she said was, I thought I already was. And I said, oh, and then I hung up because I was not prepared. I was prepared really for her to just saying, really, you're dog dirt. Why would I want to do that? That's who I was when I came in. I, I just, I hated myself. I hated you. I hated pretty much everybody but my dog, and that was questionable some days. So I'm trying to hurry this up because I know I only have 25 minutes, um, and uh, I do like to talk, I, though this kind of a crowd kind of scares me, because uh, people scare me. Okay, so I got the sponsor, and then they're talking incessantly again about the fourth step. And then someone said, I decided to do the fourth step because I knew it was fearless because I was already loved. So that's when I decided to do the fourth step. And I wanted to tell you, you know, the topic, I was going to kind of ignore it, but what I realized was the topic, so you love an alcoholic, to me those are the first three steps. And it was a huge relief to find out my mother was just an alcoholic. She was not evil incarnate. She never once woke up and said, wow, I hope I can make my daughter's life a living hell. It just happened. Now, that doesn't mean that she got to skate free. You know, she did what she did. You know, if someone steps on you and you get flat, you're still flat. And you need to stay out of their way. And so the first thing I did as I was taking the steps and I got the sponsor and I was awakening to the fact that there might be a God. Now, let me just tell you, I I had no use for God. I'd kicked him to the curb a long time ago. You know, he had a lot of problems, that God. There was a lot of stuff wrong with him. You know, he was male. He was annoying. He was in churches where people said stuff I didn't like. And uh, so, you know, I had the sponsor, and I was calling her. And after I stopped crying, I would talk to her. And I noticed that she, she, had, a, she had a higher power. And I noticed something else really important about her. Her life, in some ways, was in the toilet. You know, she had problems at home, big problems. In fact, she had bigger problems than I had. And she was happy. I was not. And I thought, she has a higher power. She's happy. I don't have one. I'm suicidal. So I thought I'd go with her higher power. So I just used him for a while. And he worked out pretty good. So then I got my own. And this is mine. This might not be yours. It's mine. My higher power to this very day is the same one I got way back then. My higher power looks at me like I looked at my dog. Now, my dog, she's passed away, but she had mismatching ears, mismatching legs. The front didn't match the... She had spots. She had a zigzag, and she had funny-looking fear and an underbi- uh, fur and an underbite. And I thought she was great. Every. And every time I saw her, I wanted to rub her tummy. That's what I think my higher power thinks of me every single day. I think he looks down and he thinks, oh, look at her. She's so cute. <laughs> like her ears don't match. She has funny spots. Her fur is funny. And she's so cute and I want to rub her tummy every day. And that's my higher power today. I think he wants to rub my tummy every day. He thinks I'm really cute. And I've worked the steps. I did finally do that pesky fourth step. Now, I want to talk about another sponsor I had. I move, so I kind of, I lie a lot. So if I don't look you in the eye, I'll start lying. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm rocking. So, you know, I knew I would lie like that if I didn't have a sponsor I could see in the eye. I got a new sponsor when I moved. And one day she said to me, we're doing your fifth step on Friday. 
Now, this was back in the day when we memorized our sponsor's phone numbers. Remember that? And I was like, I didn't know I could have phoned her and said no. Because I was really lucky. I was real stupid when I came in the program, luckily for me. Real dumb. Like, I didn't know until five or six years in the program, my husband shared with me that he had sponsees that didn't do what he told them. And I was like, whoa, you can do that? And he's like, what? And I said, you could not do what they tell you to do? He's like, yeah, they do it all the time. I'm like, oh. I didn't know that. I was so lucky I did not know that. So if you guys, if you don't need to know that, pay, don't pay attention to this part. So I had that sponsor who said I was doing my fifth step on Friday. I didn't know I could phone her and say no, I wasn't, so I did. So I worked the rest of the steps because of that. My sponsor would do pest, you know, really annoying little things like, we're going to talk about this step on Tuesday. I'd be like, oh, okay. Because I didn't know I could say no. So um, let's bring it back to my mom. So what happened was Al-Anon taught me how to love in very concrete ways. The first thing I did was I stopped using bad language with my mother. I stopped telling her to F off. That was a huge improvement in our relationship. When I was not spiritually fit, I stopped taking her calls. If I was not spiritually fit, I didn't pick up the phone. I just didn't do it. Um, I stopped hanging up on her. I stopped yelling at her. I would love to tell you that I stopped thinking she was cuckoo, but I didn't. But I stopped telling her she was cuckoo, and that was a huge improvement. And um, I discovered in the fifth tradition that it talked about working our steps, uh, extending love and understanding to the friends and families of alcoholics, and she was one, and compassion to the alcoholic. And so I learned very concrete things that were very helpful. And... um, I did finally learn to love my mother in a way that I thought was truly kind and loving. As a matter of fact, my mother later um, developed dementia. And the last thing that my mother and I said to each other, well, what she said was, she said, I, I said to her, Mom, I, I love you. And this was in the, one of the very last, well, it was the last lucid moment my mother and I had together. My mother's dementia was very severe and very rapid. Um, And she looked at me and she said, you do? I said, yeah. And she said, I love you too. And that was the last thing that my mother and I said to each other. And I'm very grateful for that. Because that could not have happened without Al-Anon. Um... So I, I had a plan when I came up here. When I came up here, I just wanted to mention three things, seriously. Um, I just wanted to make sure that I mentioned a higher power because I did not have one when I came to al and I have one today. I wanted to mention the steps. The steps are the steps to recovery. We do have one big promise. The 12 steps says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of working these steps. It doesn't say having had a spiritual awakening as coming to a lot of meetings. I do go to a lot of meetings. It doesn't say having had a spiritual awakening as the result of holding social events, which I'm known for. Um, It doesn't say having had a spiritual awakening as the result of having sponsor or sponsee. It says having had a spiritual awakening as a result of working these steps. So I have done that. And then mentioning having a sponsor. As I said, you know, I did not really um, come up with, like, a person, you know, my mom. I couldn't trust her, really, Um, you know, because she was an alcoholic and she couldn't trust herself. Um, I learned later that probably my mother was not an alcoholic but was probably affected by alcoholism in some other way and that probably my father was an alcoholic as well. Uh, It's kind of fuzzy and they both passed on and really how do you ask them anyway? Uh, Hey, are you one of those? Um, Uh, So I wanted to mention uh, having a sponsor, and that has been huge for me. 
um, is she is someone that I can trust. Now, sometimes I don't have the courage to speak up with her the way that I should, um, and I'm working on that. I'm definitely still a work in progress. Um, but, um, yeah, those were the three things I wanted to talk about. Having a higher power, working the steps, having a sponsor, and um, the fact that Al-Anon has saved my life. I do believe that had it not been for Al-Anon, I would be dead today because I was doing things with people I had no business doing them with. I was doing things I had no business doing, and I was going to places I should never go. I was putting my life in danger. And I came to Al-Anon a broken, hate-filled, self-hating, loathing child. And uh, today I have 21 years and I I, I, uh, I have a, a new husband of 17 years. And we have a beautiful interactive relationship that I could not have had had I not learned how to do the things that you have taught me to do. And for that, I'm very grateful. And I'm grateful that the last thing I said to my mother when she was in her own mind was that I loved her. So I hope that my higher power has put something in my mouth that you needed to hear. I'm only up here because I was going through a phase of saying yes to a lot of things. I (laughs) thought I'd be more open to life and enjoying it. I know it was crazy. But anyway, so thank you for being here and thank you for having the... um, for letting me have the honor of speaking to you today. Thanks. Thank you, Diana. I can relate to that, uh, to your story myself, because when I came in, I pretty much came in kicking and screaming, and I loathed the alcoholic in my life, too. Um, Our next speaker is Holly S. from Ogden, Utah. Hi, everybody. My name is Holly, and I'm a very grateful member of the Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon. Thanks. Now I feel like I'm at home. I've been pretty nervous about this for some reason, but... I know that when I look out here, I just see friends that I haven't met yet. And if I heard you tell your stories, I'd hear my friends at home's stories by listening to you. So uh, thank you guys for being here for me. Um, I uh, came into Al-Anon, much like Diana, very angry. Um, I came in at the tail end of my second marriage to my second alcoholic husband, and I only came to Al-Anon so that when I got my divorce, I could tell everybody, this time I did everything I possibly could before I got divorced. And uh, that was 13 years ago that I came in here last week. And uh, if you'd have told me 13 years ago that I'd be sharing on the topic of So You Love an Alcoholic, I would have seriously thought you guys were completely crazy um, because I didn't feel like I did love the alcoholic. Um, I seem to have been very confused about love my whole life for some reason. I didn't grow up in an alcoholic home, but we had plenty of isms in our home, which I'm sure pretty much everybody does in one way, shape, or form. Um, but for some reason, um, I thought that when I loved somebody, I loved everything about you. And when you were doing something that I didn't love, I didn't love you anymore. And that's how, I, how and when I detached my whole life. As soon as something happened I didn't like or couldn't live with, I left. And that's kind of how things worked for me for a very long time. Um, I thought um, my lover was broke when I got here. I didn't know how to love. Um, I heard people talking to Alan on about we love you in a very special way. And I was like, what is that even mean? I have no idea. I don't understand how you can love these people. Because I looked around that room and I didn't really see anybody I loved at the time. But mainly it was because I saw me in you, and I didn't really love myself very much at all. Um, so um, I have some notes here that just to keep me on track, so don't mind me. Um, anyway, growing up, I always actually knew that I was loved. I had a wonderful family. I was the middle of 
middle child of three, the only girl. My mom and dad were never divorced. My grandmother lived with us and raised me when my mom went to work and just had a regular old normal life till my family moved to Utah from Pittsburgh when I was 10. And um, Utah's a weird place to grow up <laughs> when you're not from there. Um, and I just always failed on the outside. My family back east was very huge. Um, my dad was the oldest of four, my mom the youngest of seven. I had tons of aunts and uncles and cousins, and we moved to Utah, and we were alone. And um, I always knew I was alone out there. Um, so um, in high school, I started hanging out with all the partying people, and I had a great time there. My older brother already had an in in that group, so I just hung out with them and um, I hang around with people that partied all the time, and I had a real my first actual um, introduction to alcoholism with my best friend. Um, she, we uh, grew up right next to an Air Force base, and my best friend was an Air Force brat, and her parents drank like somebody I had never seen before. I loved hanging out with her. It was a lot of fun to go camping with them and everything, but um, she had a really crazy life. I mean, she would call my parents at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, can you come and get me? My dad just busted a pool cue over my head. And um, she had just a really hard life. And um, But that was my first introduction to alcoholism. And um, <clears throat> um, But anyway, so I'm hanging out with all these partying people. And after high school, I met um, a man seven years my senior. And... Uh, he, uh, I worked with him, and uh, he had. When I met him, he didn't have a driver's license. He had had six DUIs. Um, <laughs> he had been through treatment four or five times, and he was the kindest, sweetest, most loving man I'd ever met. <laughs> and so I married him. And uh, it was funny because I remember before the wedding, I was like, "Oh, Holly, you're getting in way over your head. You don't want to marry him." But I was 21 and bulletproof, and I could fix everybody. So I was like, you guys are crazy. I love him. I'm going to do it. And I did. And I knew almost immediately that I was in way over my head. Um, he drank till he passed out every single night. He passed out on the living room floor. He wet himself every night. Um, he couldn't have any kind of alcohol in the house. And I was like, that's not how I want to live my life. I want to be able to have a glass of wine or something. And you couldn't because he drank it all the time. And um, um, I didn't leave that marriage because I didn't love him. Um, he, like I say, he was one of the kindest, funnest, most amazing men I'd ever met in my life. But I knew he was going to die. I knew one day I was going to wake up and find him dead on the floor. Or something awful was going to happen. And I knew I didn't want to watch that. So um, I was only married to him for about a year and a half. And... Um, it's interesting. I think back now, he told me before we got married, um, Holly, whatever happens, please don't try and change me. And um, I never did, actually, with that one. <laughs> um, I knew I couldn't. I mean, it was so far beyond anything that I could ever have conceived of. Um, so anyway, um, we parted ways, and I was single for about four years. I had one relatively normal relationship in that period, although for fun we jumped out of airplanes together. So it might not have been exactly normal, but it worked for us. Um, anyway, and then I met um, my second husband. Um, he had gone to the same high school as my first husband. They were friends. They had double dated in high school. And uh, he was not exactly like my first husband. <laughs> At least I didn't think so. Um, we had... Um, some wonderful times together. We got we had been together about two years when we got married, and we hung out with all of my partying friends and had a good time. And he was just like me in so many ways. And um, I had no secrets from him at all. I just um, had never met anybody that I felt like I could be so honest with. And um, after about four or five years, I had switched jobs at the company I worked for, and I was traveling a lot. I was out of town. Um, uh, I don't know, three or four weeks out of every month, I would leave Monday morning, come back Friday, and things just started getting weird when I was at home, and I would get phone calls at 2 a.m. when I'm in a hotel in Seattle or something, and, and I'd come home and half of our stuff was gone, and um, we fought all the time, and um, I had no idea what was going on, and um, that it just got bad for a couple years, and I remember when he finally told me the depth of his problems, I was just livid, and um, 
I said a lot of awful things to him. Um, but one thing that I did is I learned um, in my family that guilt and belittling and things of that nature are good ways to control people. And so I was going to belittle him and control him and be so hard on him and point out the error of his ways that he'll want to change. I don't know why that did not work because <laughs> I was really good at it. I had had a great teacher in my mother, and it didn't work. Things just kept getting worse. Surprise, when you treat somebody like they're garbage, that you don't get a good response. Um, so um, anyway, I uh, had been going to see a therapist, and um, he was in and out of treatment a couple times. And after the third therapist told me that I needed Al-Anon, I finally decided I would come to Al-Anon and... Um, like I said before, I hated it. I sat there in the room, and my friends now, they tease me when they see a newcomer come in and sit there with their arms crossed and their leg just kicking like that. They go, look, there's you. (laughs) Because I did that for a really long time. Nobody would sit next to me. They were afraid they were going to get kicked. But um, so I was going to Al-Anon for a little while, and things were not getting better at home. And... um, in that period, um, my ex-husband died from the disease of alcoholism, and I had always known he would. But um, I went to his funeral, and uh, after the funeral, something it occurred to me that um, just like I couldn't w- have watched him die, I didn't want to watch the man I was currently married to die either. And um, shortly after that, we separated, and uh, well, we separated, but he was there still all the time for a couple months and things just kept going downhill even further once we were separated but in the meanwhile I got involved um, got a sponsor started working the steps and uh, um, I got involved in a step study group and um, my husband and I didn't see each other for like four months didn't see each other didn't talk to each other anything for this period and I was involved with a small group that worked our steps together and I learned so much about myself Um, You know, I learned that um, mostly the most important thing back then that I learned was that alcoholism was a disease. I had no idea that he had a disease and that I actually, why I was so conflicted over everything was that I still loved the person, but I hated the disease. I hated the behaviors that were coming out because of the disease, but that there was still somebody in there that I absolutely loved with all my heart. Um, I felt... um, a lot of um, remorse for that when I found out that it was a disease that he had because they likened it to diabetes. You know, if he had diabetes, would you have changed? Yeah, for sure I would have changed. Would I have belittled him? Absolutely not. Um, And I decided I needed to be willing to change as well, not really for him, but because he was out of the house. I was still just a miserable, horrible person alone in that house. Even when all I ever wanted was for him to be gone, I thought I would feel better if he was gone. Um, You know, I think back to when I first started, and I remember um, being just so miserable and didn't think there was any way out for us, that I didn't care. The only way I thought things would get better is if somebody died, and I didn't care if it was him or me. And um, so, um, anyway, I learned a lot of stuff going to Al-Anon. I was probably going to five or six meetings a week at that point. And I would go to open AA meetings and I would hear stories in there that would break my heart. And I'd go home and I'd think about him and I'd still want to kill him. But my heart bled for the people that suffered from the same problem that he did and told the same stories that I knew he would be telling if he was there to tell them. And um, so I did learn to have some compassion for for the alcoholics in my life. I also um, learned that I was so judgmental. I remember when I was um, doing my steps two and three and trying to find my relationship with my higher power. Um, Like Diana said earlier about, um, you know, how my higher power loved me and didn't judge me. And I thought, you know, how amazing that that is possible and that somebody is like that to me. They don't judge me, you know, and what business is it of me to judge this other person that I love or anybody else for that matter? It's not my business to be 
their judge and jury. My business is to be the best human being I can be and love love people. And if they're they're doing something I can't love, I can detach from that and not own that. But I can still love the person. And um, you know, letting go of my judgments and. Uh, one of the biggest pieces to that, to me, was um, the slogan, or whatever you want to call it, but for the grace of God go I. Because one thing I've learned, I mean, I hung out with partying people my whole life, and one thing I learned in Al-Anon is, um, you know, I did my fair share of drinking too, but um, in Al-Anon I did learn that I was going to do those things anyways, whether I was drinking or not. And I did most of the things that I did that I'm ashamed of sober, but... I think if things had gone a little bit different, I could have got us into these rooms in a different way if things didn't pan out the way they did. And, um, you know, so it really is not my business to judge another person and their behavior. Um, My sponsor, um, so we'd been separated, sorry, let me back up. We'd been separated about four or five months, and um, my husband had a job opportunity opportunity come in come and he needed to move back in our area and he couldn't find a place and I'm like well you can stay here until you find a place and uh instantly I was filled with terror and I called my sponsor and she said I said I don't know you know if this is a good idea I don't I know I can't trust him and she said well instead of worrying about whether you can trust him why don't you worry about whether you can be trustworthy that had never occurred to me, but I could apply everything that I felt, all of my fears about the alcoholic in my life, I could apply to myself. And um, so um, he moved back in, and I worked on myself some more, and even harder than I did my first time through the steps. Um, and we started dating again and realized that we still loved each other. And... Um, um, but we were totally different people. We were neither one of us were the same person that had said yes to being married seven years before that. And um, um, I can't even imagine uh, what our lives would be like now without AA and Al-Anon in our home. Um, every day, still, I wake up and I do my step one every day. Holly, you um, you choose to be married to an alcoholic, and and that's what it is to me. It's a choice. And the days that um, neither one of us act out our, on our isms are really good days. They're few and far between, but we still have a pretty wonderful, amazing relationship where we can walk side by side through life and um, experience things with the same goal and different perspectives. And at the end of the day, we can share about how we experienced our life that day and... Um, and it's just amazing to get that other perspective. Um, it's like um, we um, ride motorcycles um, and we take wonderful road trips together. And people say, why don't you ride on the back? I'm like, oh, then I'd have to talk to them. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's I liken it to our recovery. He's on his bike. I'm on mine. We're on the same road. We're driving past the same things. But we see things totally different. And at the end of the day, we stop and have dinner wherever we're stopped. And it's so great to hear his perspective of things. And I just want to tell you this one story. We were riding through um, this beautiful um, two-lane road up in Oregon through the pine trees. And he had a vest on with the eagle on the back of it. And um, overhead flew this giant eagle just come flying out of the trees. And it turned and it went up. And I looked down at him just as the eagle's shadow went right up the road and up the back of his vest. It was like one of the coolest things I'd ever seen in my life. And uh, he didn't see that. And I got to share that with him at the end of the day. And it gives me goosebumps to this day to even think about that. Just that moment that united us and showed me again without any outside influence, I guess, how much I love that person. You know what I mean? I just felt so connected to him in that moment when I saw that happen. And he had no idea. He's riding around. No idea. what I just had this amazing spiritual experience behind him. And that's kind of how our life is. Um, am I good on time still? Okay. Um, so... Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, Tradition 5, which um, 
when I first heard Tradition 5, I hated it. It talked about giving understanding and encouragement to the alcoholic, and I had none of that to give at the time. And um, it's kind of interesting even to this day. Um, anytime we're in a meeting together and, and that one's read, and my husband looks at me like, really? Because apparently I'm not very good at showing that, to, which is kind of funny. One non-conference-approved literature that my sponsor asked me to read once was a book about different ways people express love, and we are completely and utterly different in that way. I mean, mine is acts of service. That's how I express my love. I don't fold his socks and underwear because I like it. I fold it because I love him. And his way of expressing love is different, you know. And it just makes me laugh sometimes that I need to get out of my comfort zone to let him know that I do love and and appreciate him. And that's not easy for me, even to this day. Now we've been married 18 years, and it's still difficult for me to express love in a way that he can appreciate. But um, it's something that I work on all the time. It's really important to me that he knows that I do love and care about him. Um Um, another thing I think one of the most important tools that um, I picked up that I use every single day is the slogan think is that thoughtful, honest, intelligent, necessary and kind I mean I told you that I was sarcastic and hurtful and that was my way to manipulate him into getting what I want and um, it's still easy for me to slip back into sarcasm and um, hurtful things and um so i use that slogan a lot um i like to tell people you wouldn't believe it but i probably didn't talk for a year when we got back together because i'd be thinking is it thoughtful honest intelligent necessary and kind and it wasn't any of those things so i kind of was a mute but and that was actually kind of a pleasant change because i used to use silence as a tool i mean my silence used to be hurtful and then it was just like i'm afraid to say anything um <laughs> that makes me remember on my first New Year's in recovery we were separated I spent my New Year's alone at the house and um, I read the page in our book that talks about you know we have this brand new year full of empty pages and nothing you know we can fill them with whatever we want and I was thinking I haven't hurt anybody yet this year I haven't done anything I need to make amends for I didn't leave my house for three days because <laughs> I didn't want to have to go and screw everything up I had a perfect year for three days um, but that I still struggle with that slogan, think. Um, but today I struggle with the necessary part because sometimes I think I take how important is it a little bit too far. Um, but, um, you know, I wonder if what I'm feeling or what I'm thinking is really important. Is it necessary? And my rule now is if it keeps me awake two nights in a row, it's probably necessary and I probably need to say something about it. Um, but... What I learned through working my steps every single time I work through them is the things I have to make amends for are my words. Um, I'm more often, more likely to say something hurtful to somebody else than to do something hurtful to somebody else. And so I try to choose my words very carefully, especially when it's something important to me. And um, I'm not really very good at that on a one-on-one level, um, which is pretty good because my husband is. Um, and any time I have to say something really important to him, it's usually in bed at night in the dark when I don't have to see his face. That's how I made my first amends to him, and it's probably how I made pretty much every major one since then. Um, but um, I do know today that what I have to say and what I feel is necessary for me to share. And when I'm in doubt nowadays about that, um, I close my eyes for a minute and pretend I'm in an Al-Anon meeting. Because in an Al-Anon meeting, I know what's appropriate to say. I know what's the right thing to say for me. And, um, and you know, the bottom line is pretty much any situation I'm in could qualify as an Al-Anon meeting. I don't hang around with anybody who isn't either an alcoholic or in love with an alcoholic or know an alcoholic. And um, so Al-Anon's taught me how to behave with other people, and I am so grateful for that. Um, um And um, so I guess I'm kind of going to wrap up on that note, but I just want to thank Al-Anon for fixing my lover. That sounds funny. It's not that lover. It's this lover that's inside of me that I thought was so broken when I got here. 
Um, you guys loved me until I could love myself and thereby love other people. And it's a gift that I cannot thank you enough for. So thank you. Thank you, Holly. Um, we have one more speaker, and, and before I announce the speaker, I wanted to mention, uh, when I went to introduce Holly, I said that I could uh, relate to Diana because I loathe the alcoholic in my life. <laughs> well, um, we just made 24 years of marriage, so I actually love him, <laughs> not loathe him. Um, so our next speaker is Chris B., and Chris is from Colgate, Wisconsin. Hi, everyone. My name is Chris Barker, and I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon. Um, my Al-Anon birthday is March 1st, 1974, and I'm from Colgate, Wisconsin. Um, I want to give you just a little bit of background about myself, but first, before I forget, the topic is So You Love an Alcoholic. And when I got that email and it said, So You Love an Alcoholic, I thought, yeah. (laughs) But what do you want me to talk about? (laughs) And so I've given a lot of thought about that. Um, I want to start with just a little background about myself. I'm the oldest of three. I came from a relatively normal family, and by that I mean um, there was no alcoholic drinking in my family. My father did not drink at all. The doctor had told him when he had some health issues, um, maybe even before I was born, um, you know, that he should quit drinking, so he did. And my mother rarely drank. She was definitely a social drinker. And um, the bulk of my family's social life was um, extended family. So um, when my husband said to me, Chris, I'm an alcoholic and I need help, um, the only thing that I could say to him was, well, then you better get some, because I had no clue. I knew absolutely, the, the only thing I knew about alcoholism was when we were dating, we had seen the days of wine and roses. And that looked pretty grim. And um, that wasn't where we were at at that point in our lives. Um, so at any rate... Um, The person that um, went to Al-Anon, me, I went because my husband called AA, and they had someone call him, and that person offered to pick him up and take him to a meeting and told him that there was a group for spouses. And so my husband said to me, would you like to come along? And I said, sure. I mean, if he wanted to quit drinking... You know, and there was something I could do to help, I was willing to go along. And and I say it that way because I had not heard of Al-Anon. Um, and so we went to our first meeting. And we, um, this couple picked us up. They seemed very nice. They took us to one of the local churches. We went down in the basement. And the AA... Oops, sorry. The AAs went in the door on the left, and and the Al-Anons went in the door on the right. And it felt good to be there. The atmosphere was happy. Um, People were smiling and laughing. And um, I was curious. Um, I knew I needed some help because I had a lot of difficulty sleeping. And I certainly wasn't the mother to our two little girls that I wanted to be. Um, One of the things that I do remember about that first meeting was that they said to me, you let the AAs take care of him, and Al-Anon will take care of you. 
and it felt good to be told that there was something or someone that was willing to take care of me because I really felt like I'd been trying to um, do it all myself. Um, You know, I really didn't understand what I was dealing with. It seemed like no matter what I tried, um, he still went out and drank. Um, And the other thing about me at that time in my life was I was very angry with my higher power. Um, I had prayed for certain things to happen or not happen, and they had, I'd not gotten the answers I was seeking. And so I was angry. I was still going to church, but I had stopped praying. And um, so in those early years in the program, I listened. I listened a lot to what people had to say about their higher power. And I slowly began to form a new perception of what I believe to be that same higher power. And so as I did this, I was able to work steps one, two, and three. And I was able to, I read all the literature. Easy does it was just beyond my comprehension. I wanted it all, and I wanted it now. Um, So at any rate, um, I got involved head over heels in the program. Um, The group I went to had a lot of pluses. Um, It was convenient, wasn't far away. We went together. We could get a babysitter. It was kind of our night out. Um, The same people were there pretty much every week. And um, so I... You know, I stayed with that group for quite a while because, you know, it it seemed to be serving my purpose. I was working the steps, reading the literature, learning the slogans. Um, I can remember at one point one of the gals in the meeting said that there was a conference, and it was in the area, and that we should go. And I thought, well, that sounds nice. Um, and I waited for my spouse to say something, which he didn't. So, you know, I kind of let it drop. And um, the other thing, I'm not here to tell um, my husband's story, but I do need to say that for the first two and a half years that we were in our respective programs, um, he did not achieve lasting sobriety. And this was discouraging to me, but what I, one of the things that I really got from Al-Anon was hope. Hope that things would get better. And eventually, um, they did. He got serious about the program. He was going to a lot of meetings. And um, it did stick, let's say. Um, And that was good. That's really what I've been waiting for. I mean, you know, in a lot of ways. And um, so I, um, but there was one thing that I had not expected, and that was, you know, he was gone a lot. You know, he'd come home from work, he'd have dinner, he'd take a nap on the couch, and then he was off to a meeting. And if he wasn't napping, he was on the phone with somebody or other. And I really felt left out. And so I, I, was, I shared that at a meeting one night, and um, one of the gals said, have you shared this with Ron? I was like, no. Well, you might want to think about that. So I did. I went home and I shared it with him. By this time, he was going to a different meeting on Monday night. And um, basically he said, well, you got a good group there. I'm sure that they will help you work that out. Um, and my heart kind of sank in a way because it, it ne- definitely wasn't what I was looking for, but it was the answer that I needed to hear because my feelings were not his responsibility. At this point, the fact that I knew I felt left out was huge progress. Um, one of the things that I really lost track of in the drinking years was my feelings, other than anger. Um, 
So anyways, um, I found that just by sharing it with someone at the group and with him, that it did help. And that was the beginning of my learning about my feelings. Um, Somewhere along that time, I met some people from some spouses of um, some of the people that Ron was going to meetings with, and they invited me to go to a different Al-Anon meeting. And by this time, our youngest was um, not napping anymore. This was a daytime group. They had a babysitter. So I went. And I liked it. Um, One of the things that kept coming up at this new meeting that I was going to was sponsorship. I was not aware that Al-Anon's needed sponsors. It It was never discussed in that first group I went to. And so I began to seek, in my perfectionistic way, a sponsor. And it took me a while. You know, I kept listening to what this one said and what that one said. And one friend must have sensed that I was thinking of asking her, and she said, "Um, I make it a practice to not sponsor people that we socialize with as couples. So I thought, oh, shoot. Um, And then there was another gal that I almost asked, and I found out that she had not done her four-step yet. And I thought, oh, no, 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 no. I can't be asking someone who's behind me in the program. So eventually this gal started coming to our group, and um, she was, you know, sharing like we all were. And I liked what she had to say. And one of the things that I liked about her was she had the ability to laugh at herself. And this was something that um, not only did I like, but I wanted. And so I asked her if she would be my sponsor And what we would do after the meeting is we would chat in the parking lot, you know, various groups of us. So anyway, she said, oh, yes, and she gave me a big hug. I was like, yay. Um, So at any rate, I, um, you know, continued on with my program, um, but now I had a sponsor. Um, And um, it was kind of interesting Um, My sponsor had four children. We had two. Our oldest was the same age as her youngest. And so it seemed like when it came to my girls, if I had questions, um, there really wasn't anything that um, my girls were up to that one of her kids hadn't gotten into. And, you know, she never really told me what to do. She shared what worked for her. And so at any rate, um, that was really neat Um, until our oldest was 17, and we'd been having a lot of problems with her. She was skipping out of school, um, just a lot of issues, and I kind of thought it was depression. We went into family counseling. Everybody was opening up and sharing except her. Um, so at any rate, it's, um, after six months, we came to an agreement with the counselor that we really couldn't go any further until she was willing to open up. So we left that. And um, months later, she came to me, and she said, Mom, I'm pregnant. Yeah, exactly. And um, so... You know, we, we talked with her when her dad came home. You know, I filled him in, and we talked and um, about what we were going to do about this and so forth. And that Saturday night, we already had arrangements to go out with Claire and Gretchen. And so over dinner, I shared with them what was going on. And um, it was not something that they had firsthand experience with. But what they did have is they cared, and they weren't afraid to show that they cared. Um, I can remember my sponsor telling me, you know, because my thought was, what did I do wrong? You know, what did I not teach this kid that she, you know, 
got pregnant in high school. And um, one of the things that was shared with me was that I had set a good example and that I certainly had done the best that I could. And, and that's really kind of what I, I try to do today in every situation. Um, to go forward a little bit, um, five years ago, I got a phone call from my surgeon. I had had another biopsy, and this one was breast cancer. And once again, my sponsor had gone through it before me. Not once, but she was going through it for the second time. She was, she was about five months ahead of me. And so I asked her, would she be my mentor? Um, and she agreed. And she once again was very helpful. Um, I, um, you know, I thought I was dealing with everything. I did, did what I needed to do as far as what the doctors told me and all the appointments and everything. But the Friday night before um, I was to start radiation, I had a meltdown. And, you know, it was just one of those things I guess had probably been building up all day, and it was the reality. You know, I made it through the surgery fine, um, but it was the reality of the cancer that, was, that struck me. And I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to have radiation. I wanted it to just go away, and of course I knew I couldn't do that. And um, my poor husband was a bit bewildered because I was not able to do much besides cry. And um, so I, I got on the phone because I knew I was not up to driving, and I called, and she happened to be home. And once again, so much of what she did was listen and care. And that's really what I needed. Um, you know, I got through all that just fine. Um, it wasn't fun, it wasn't easy, but it was certainly doable. And I have to say that, that one of the things that really helped me with that particular situation was um, that I knew so many survivors already. Um, ta-dum, ta-dum. I would like to kind of share on a couple other topics. Um, you know, I, I told you it's not my goal to share my husband's story. He does that very well on his own. Um, when we speak together, especially if it's an AA-hosted meeting, I speak first and then I tell them he gets rebuttal. Um, but at any rate, I did want to touch a little bit about service because it has been an important part of my program. Um, early on, when I was in this, this second group that I was going to, um, I heard the expression, you should never say no to an Al-Anon request. And so I did my best to do that. Today I know that you should never say no to, and you, I can put this one of two ways, a reasonable Al-Anon request or a request within reason. And the reason I say that, and I can remember talking with Gretchen one day, and I was, going to, I was back going to school, and I was, oh, I think a DR at the time, and, um, and I was talking to her about something I thought would be really neat to do. And she said to me, I hope you're not going to try and do that before you finish school. It's like, hmm. So I had to think about that a little bit. And, and I, did, um, I did postpone it. Um, it was some sort of service thing. Um, but I have to say that service, and I started with service in the group, you know, speaking, setting up, leading a meeting, sponsorship, um, and then I eventually I expanded to beyond the group. I started as GR, and then I was DR. Um, when I was DR, they asked the, um, the DRs in the Milwaukee area to be on the Al-Anon Service Board, um, which ran our office, also called um, Intergroup. And so we did that. 
And I really enjoyed all of that. And the neat thing was that um, the DRs decided to work together. And so we would have activities for the whole area, not just our district. And um, one of the gals thought it would be fun to have a dance, a place where we could just go and just have fun. Didn't have to have a meeting, didn't have to have a purpose beyond having fun. And so um, we started what is called the snowball. The Alateens sold soda, and that was their fundraiser. We weren't even looking at it as a fundraiser. We were glad if we could break even. And that has progressed today. Now they do have, a, have meetings. Um, they've tried dinners. Um, but it's neat to see that it's still around, and there's still the dance after the meeting. And to see the turnout and to see people having fun together. You know, when we were suffering from the disease, um, it seemed to me that my alcoholic was out there having a ball with all the other guys because he, he was a very social drinker. I was home being the responsible mother with our girls, so he was out having fun and I was not. So I felt like I had some catching up to do there. And so I think it's really neat to see families coming back together and having fun together. Um, Another thing that we um, have gotten involved in in um, recovery, and I have to give my husband a lot of credit for this one, is conferences. You know, I mentioned before that Um, Someone in my first group had said, you should go. Well, what happened to us eventually was one of the people from one of his home groups said, come with us. What a huge difference that is. And we went, and we had a ball. We got a babysitter for the girls. I think we stayed overnight, and we just had a ball. And we were hooked. And so whenever possible... We go to the conferences. You know, we have Area 65 in our area. Um, That's the AA. And they have Al-Anon participation. Um, In 1980, we went to our first international down in New Orleans. What an experience. You know, you never forget your first big international. We were on a... um, a sober sailors cruise. Um, I've been, we've been able to go to two Al-Anon internationals now that they've split off from the AA internationals. And it's, um, I think Ron puts it very well. He calls it the dessert to the program. And it is, it's a, it's a reward. Um, we plan for it. We budget for it. And um, if at all possible, we go. Um, I've covered a lot. I have some time left. Okay. Um, You know, I guess the other thing I want to touch on is, um, you know, I mentioned I had trouble sleeping. I know today that I'm an insomniac. The program has helped tremendously with that. If there's something on my mind, I turn it over to my higher power. I can remember when Ron was out drinking, I would just pray, God, you take care of him, because there's nothing more I can do, and please help me sleep. And I would be able to do that. Since I've been a teenager, I've had what I call mood swings. Um, Sometimes they call them manic depression. Um, nowadays, I think they use the term bipolar. Um, but, I mean, I can remember there were times when I couldn't sleep. Ron may or may not have been out drinking. I'd clean cupboards. I'd do whatever because I had this energy I needed to burn up. Um, when I'm in, in, the, in the low periods, I'm much quieter because my brain re- literally has nothing to say. 
And um, I've learned to deal with this. I choose to deal with this without medication. Um, but it's the program. The program has taught me that when I'm depressed, I do what I would normally do. I do not isolate. Um, if I've made plans to do something, I do it. I'm excuse me, may not be as talkative, but I do it. And by doing that, the periods of depression seem to be less, and they're shorter. And I think, you know, we talk about how we um, we kind of, we don't get as high and we don't get as low. You know, we kind of, the goal is somewhere in here. Um, and, and that's really what's, happened to me is it's moderated. Part of that is because I've learned to deal with my feelings. You know, today I know what I'm feeling. I'm able to define more than just anger. That was the first feeling I knew I was feeling. But today I know if I'm sad, and I generally know why. I know if I'm upset. I know if I'm frustrated. And many times, um, you know, if I can't figure out what to do about it, I have people that I can talk to about it. Um, the phone is not my strong suit, but um, I do try to use it as best I can. And um, once again, I am grateful for that. You know, we have a good life today, and so much of that is because of the 12-step programs You've given us the tools we need to meet life on life's terms. You know, if something's wrong today, I don't have to deny it. When it came to my physical illness, because of my father's history of physical illness, my first thought was, oh, no, that's, that's not really happening, or I'll wait a few days and see if it goes away. Um, Today I know that there are things that I must deal with. You know, when I came to this program, I had come close to dying not once but twice. And it wasn't, it wasn't suicide. It was physical illnesses that I wasn't able to fix myself. Um, so today I'm grateful. My da- Our younger daughter just said to me the other day on the phone, you're so much healthier now than you used to be, Mom. And that's true. And I give a lot of credit to that, to the program. And if I, if I'm not, if I have an issue and it's not going away, I know that I have to go see the appropriate doctor and see what we can do about it. Um, one of the things I think I'm very grateful for is that I did not let my denial carry me to the point to where I didn't have mammograms um, because my breast cancer was caught early and it was very treatable. You know, that's part of my growing up in this program. So um, even though when I first came to this program, I would not have told you that I was thankful I married an alcoholic. I certainly didn't set out to marry an alcoholic. What I am grateful for today is not the suffering that we went through, but I'm grateful for where it's gotten us today and for the life we have today and the ability to love and be loved and show gratitude and do that next right thing. And, I, yes, I give the program a lot of credit. I also give my higher power a lot of credit. And so with that, I thank you all. And happy 4th of July.